0: Gary Parish, welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. The Ion College Basketball Podcast is presented by Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's a sub above. David Cobb is here with me. He's at home in the volunteer state. I'm in a hotel in New York City after being in studio for CBS Sports Network. If you are watching on YouTube, smash the like button, like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the CBS Sports Network, college basketball youtube channel please do that while you're here all right let's get into it saturday night's elite eight games they're in the books 50 percent of the final four is set uconn is headed to houston florida atlantic is headed to houston one of these teams is ranked number one at ken palm and has been inside the top six at ken palm since december 1st that's uconn just a a monster of a program that has won four of the past twenty-three NCAA tournaments, they're now the favorite to win a fifth NCAA tournament in a twenty-four tournament span. Uh, four in twenty-three in that span. Uh, UConn's got more national championships than any other school in the country, based on history or this season. No surprise that the Huskies are going to find themselves in the final four. The other program that punched a ticket to the final four on Saturday, not quite as accomplished. That's FAU. Didn't even start playing basketball until 1988, which means I started playing basketball before Florida Atlantic did. Think about that for a second. I was playing basketball, and at Florida Atlantic, they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that yet. But then they started it in 1988, and before the season, they had only been to one NCAA tournament, had never won a game in the NCAA tournament. But then they won CSA's regular season title, won the CSA tournament, got a nine seed in this NCAA tournament. Then they beat Memphis, Fairleigh Dickinson, Tennessee, and Kansas State to make the Final Four. They're and 35-3. They're an awesome story. David Cobb, before we get into the games individually, just your thoughts on UConn and FAU, two programs that are different in basically every way, making up half of our Final Four participants.
2: I'll hit you with a fact right out of the gate. This UConn team is the first since Kentucky in 1996 to win both its Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games by 15 or more points. That Kentucky team went on to win the national title. Incredibly impressive from UConn. FAU, it's a whole other deal. How do you categorize them? Are they a Cinderella? I think within the context of this season, no. They're 34-3 and and have been one of the best teams in college basketball really all year. But within the context of their program as a whole, yes, FAU is a Cinderella. So we got a, a Cinderella-ish team, and we got a, a historical power at its absolute best. So uh, a little bit of a mixed bag representing half of the Final Four so far.
0: It, it, you know, there's an ongoing debate, I gather, about whether Florida Atlantic is a Cinderella. Because what we typically think of as Cinderella are, are teams that came out of nowhere. And this team is, again, 35-3. and three. They've been excellent all season. So I don't think it's crazy that this team, Florida Atlantic, this, this version of Florida Atlantic, is in the Final Four. Although, obviously, I did not and most others did not predict it. So in that respect, I'd say probably not a Cinderella. You know they're an outright conference champion, conference tournament champion. That's only lost three times all year. That's top twenty at Ken Palm. It's a good team and has been for a long time. On the other hand, um, it's Florida Atlantic, out of Conference USA, a team that had literally a program that had literally never won a NCAA tournament game before this year. Now they've won four. Uh, that is a, a a Cinderella, and you know I don't know that Florida Atlantic being in the final four is the best thing for television ratings but it's an awesome awesome story and it couldn't happen to um a a better guy than than dusty may like he has really handled himself throughout this entire process really impressively every off day, media session every post-game interview he's just looked and sounded the part um really staying composed and focused and i thought there was something interesting that happened in the postgame of their Sweet 16 game. It was in the locker room. They had cameras in there because there's cameras everywhere these days. And he was talking to his team and they were happy about advancing to the Elite Eight. And obviously this sport, more so than most sports, I think, is built around the final four like can you get to the final four like college football hasn't figured this out yet I mean the college football playoff is awesome but it is not an accomplishment just to get to the college football playoff because like when Notre Dame gets there and gets blasted we mock them when Oklahoma gets there and gets blasted we mock them so in that sport, it's like if you get to the, what amounts to the Final Four and then get blasted, we like make jokes about you. But if you just get to the Final Four in college basketball, like they hang banners, they, go, they celebrate it. They bring you back 10 years later and 20 years later and 30 years later to celebrate just getting to the Final Four. So with that in mind, most coaches are really geared toward that. I mean, I've heard it a million times. One more and we're in the Final Four. One more victory and we're going to Houston. And it was striking to me what Dusty May said. He's talking to his team. And he looked right at him, and you know what he said? We got three more. He wasn't talking about win one more on Saturday to get to the final four. After they won their Sweet 16 game, he said, we've got three more wins to get. Three more wins. Happy about this win? We got three more wins. And that's. I think that has trickled down to his players. That's an extremely confident bunch. I might be surprised they're here. You might be surprised they're here. I don't think they're surprised they're here.
2: Yeah, if Florida Atlantic goes the distance, they would be the worst seeded team in NCAA tournament history to win it all. No number 9 seed has ever done it before. And it's interesting, you go and look, like it seems as though there's some 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 surprise and rightfully so around the country about how this number 9 seed made the final four and how it demonstrated all this parity around the sport. But you go and look, last year there was a number 8 seed, that was North Carolina. Uh, Granted, but there was a number eight seed in last year's final four that even reached the national title game 2021, a number 11 seed that was UCLA. Uh, So in the sense of Florida Atlantic being a Cinderella, well, there's actually a fairly recent precedent of poorly seeded teams reaching the final four, but I put them in the basket with 2018 Loyola Chicago with 2013 Wichita State with 2006 George Mason poorly seeded teams that make the final four that you just really could never see it coming. Syracuse has had their runs as a poorly seeded team under Bayheim, same with Michigan state and Tom Izzo, heck even Yukon as a number seven seed, making it to the final four and winning it all. Uh, But this to me feels more like a George Mason, a Wichita state, a Loyola Chicago type of achievement because of what you mentioned, the fact that this is a relatively new basketball program and coming out of conference usa uh which oh by the way those dudes are, are kind of killing it in the postseason uh tr- charlotte won the cbi i think right i haven't been following it but i think they did uh, and then in the nit like north texas is is doing its thing there so the last the last thing i heard about
0: that and i um i haven't updated it And I don't remember the exact numbers, but somebody pointed it out. It was like Conference USA is a whole bunch of wins and one loss so far in the postseason. Like that was something within the past couple of days. So CUSA has been, like you said, performing really well this postseason.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, you know, how about that Mike White coaching tree, right? Like we're talking about Dusty May and then it's just funny. Sometimes we talk about coaching trees uh, and here we are talking about a guy who on every broadcast they mentioned, Oh yeah, he was an assistant under Mike White at Florida right. and that's like his claim to fame. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> Holy smokes. The, the Mike White coaching tree has, has a, has a final four coach. It's um yeah. Like uh,
0: it's, it it's a tremendous story. And to, you know, there, there was a, there was a moment a few years ago, I think it was the pandemic year where we were doing calling a lot of games remotely and I was on the sideline. It's just funny to think about going from here from there to here. I was on the I was a sideline reporter from my studio at home, all right? On a Conference USA game. And I'm not even sure who it was. I want to say it was something like maybe Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee or I don't know. But I was a sideline reporter on Uh, from my home on a conference usa game and this is the year where conference usa was playing back to backs to cut down on travel and and you know they basically you'd go play western kentucky today and then you play them again two days later and a pattern had sort of developed where when comparable teams were playing back-to-backs they were splitting them like the team that won the first game lost the second game and the team that lost the first game, would win the second game. This was uh, a pattern that had developed within that league and, and perhaps other leagues that were doing similar things. And so we're talking about that on the broadcast. And and I said something along the lines of when you got two comparable teams in this league playing each other in back-to-backs, what happens often so far this season is they split. The, the team that wins the first game loses the second game. Now, when you get two teams that aren't comparable like a western kentucky and a florida atlantic well then yeah western kentucky is going to sweep that one like when you got a western kentucky against a just like a whatever team they're going to sweep that one uh but when it's western kentucky against another strong conference usa team uh, it, it tends to you win the first one and you lose the second one or vice versa and needless to say i forgot about that the second i said it dusty
2: may didn't. Just-
0: Dusty May didn't. It was just a throwaway line in the middle of a Conference USA game that I was broadcasting from my home. And I honestly meant nothing about it as it pertains strictly to Florida Atlantic. Knowing me, what I did is I just looked in the middle or the bottom half of the CUSA standings and I just picked out a random team. It could have been Rice, but I said Florida Atlantic. Obviously, I never thought about this again. Dusty May never stopped thinking about it. He was talking to Norlander at some point this season. And he had that audio from that game with my voice saved on his phone. (laughs) He told Norlander about it. Norlander was like, you have that? He's like, yeah. He sent it to him. And then we, I think, played it actually on an Ion College basketball podcast earlier in the season um, when I was actually making the case that Florida Atlantic deserved to be ranked and people were sleeping on them. So to go from that moment, that, to this is incredible you and were the bulletin board material if not for the I, motivation that you provided I would, florida atlantic I would,
2: they would not be here
0: well you know it is a reminder that you really do uh, you know when you have uh the, the the stages we have you have to you know you need to watch everything you say because you know that whatever you say about somebody is probably going to get back to them
2: Heck Florida and, Atlantic was probably just happy to have somebody in the national media who mentioned them.
0: Yes. Yes. I could just see dusty may sitting at home. He's got a night off. He's watching a con- fellow conference USA game. And it's like, yo GP, why are you, why are you putting, why are you putting us in your mouth? Like what are, we doing? What are you doing? What are you bringing us up for? Just focus on these guys. Don't, don't bring us up and crap on us. So yes, I was on some level bulletin board material for dusty may me and dusty texted about it earlier in the season. We were laughing back and forth. Um, he's 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 awesome and so for them to be in this position is is awesome and it also and then we'll get to the games individually next how they got here is just a reminder of how thin the margins are because think about where they were a week ago down a point with seven seconds to go against memphis and if memphis gets a timeout call instead of a jump ball and frankly, it should have probably been a timeout. You had two, at least two players signaling for a timeout, and the rest caught it a jump ball. Memphis probably wins the game. Not definitely wins the game, but probably wins the game. And, and then this, this story is just, it's nothing. Nobody is talking about Florida Atlantic. It's just they were a good team from Conference USA that got bounced by a good team from the American in the round of 64. We probably don't even remember it unless you're a Florida Atlantic fan or a Memphis fan. And yet, because that call went their way, and Memphis had a t- terrible defensive breakdown, and it, and it, some of it was self inflicted. Florida Atlantic advances from that, then gets to play a 16 seed in the round of 32. And now two wins later yeah, 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 yeah. is in the is in the final four.
2: Let's keep it going real quick on that note, because we've seen some senior guards make some confounding mistakes. The one you mentioned from Kendrick Davis with that right. turnover that, that really helped FAU win that first round game. Let's just say hypothetically that Kehe Clark doesn't do the over the head pass. Yeah. And then it's it's Virginia playing San Diego State instead of Furman in the second round. Is San Diego State still around? Then we'll do one more. What, what if Dewan Harris gets the ball across half court without committing a 10-second violation? Could Kansas still be around? I mean, the, the, the margin is very thin. Yes. There's,
0: there's a lot of things like that. All right. So we will get into both games individually, the uh, Florida-Atlantic-Kansas State game and the UConn-Gonzaga game next. We'll take them in the order that they were played, but first, a, a word from our partners.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: So Saturday's first Elite Eight game, uh, it was played here in New York, about a mile behind where I'm sitting right now. Final score, Florida Atlantic 79, Kansas State 76. Marquis Noel had the ball in a one-possession game with, with less than 10 seconds to go, and then he passed it, and he never got it back. And Kansas State didn't even get a shot off on that final possession. David, how surprised are you that Marquise Noel gave that ball up on that final possession?
2: Yeah, I'm surprised. And we can boil it down to that single play if you want to, and that's fair because Marquise Noel should have taken the last shot for Kansas State. They did not have a timeout, so that's why the play, I think, was a little uh, jumbled up. But to me, that, that game comes down to Keontae Johnson only playing 18 minutes due to foul trouble. He finished with just nine points. He was their leading scorer all season, which might surprise some people who have really only tuned into Kansas State here down the stretch because it just appears from watching them over the last couple of weeks as if Marquise Noel is the dude. Uh, There has been another dude, though, for Kansas State throughout that season. It it was Keontae Johnson. And he got going a little bit early in the second half, uh, but then he he started picking up more fouls and he couldn't play uh, for extended periods of time. He sat the final 12 minutes of the first half as well. Uh, when he exited the game in the first half, the game was tied and then Florida Atlantic took a four point lead into the break. And you wonder, would that have been the case if Keontae Johnson had played the final 12 minutes of the first half? So another example though, is that, Hey, if he hadn't fouled out, there would have been another option for Marquise Noel on that final play instead of having to give the ball off to Ish Massoud he would have been giving the ball off to Keontae Johnson, uh, who you would rather have the ball in his hands in that moment. So that, to me, was the biggest story uh, of the game itself. Uh, But yeah, uh, you would have liked to have seen Marquise Noel take the final shot.
0: Yeah, Ish had made some big shots this season, made some big shots in this tournament. I I don't have a problem with him, you know, given that, Marquise was little and he had um, you know it, it was clogged up a little bit. It wasn't like he had a clean look and passed it up. He was he was pushed way out and he was going to have to make a play to get a shot. So I don't have a problem with it um generally speaking, but like ultimately you are the star of this team, you've been the star of this tournament, you are in Madison Square Garden, you only get this shot one time take it and I'll live with whatever I'll, I'll live with a bad shot from you, but I want a shot from you in this moment. Cause he was playing well. He was eight of 21 from the field, five of 11 from three, nine of 10 from the free throw line, 30 points, 12 assists, five steals, five of 11 from three. I would have liked him to, I would have liked to have seen a 12, three point attempt. Whatever happens with it happens with it. But when Kansas state is coming up the court in that moment, In that possession, I was certain he was going to take the shot. And I was shocked when he gave the ball up. By the way, according to Jared Burson, who is the king of ESPN stats and info, um, there have only been three games in the NCAA tournament since steals became an official stat in 1986 where somebody has scored 20-plus points, had 10-plus assists, and 5-plus steals. And Marquise Noel has two of the three. They came this weekend. Marquise Noel did it on Thursday. He did it on Saturday. And the only other time it's been done, again, since steals became an official stat in 1986, Anderson Hunt at UNLV in 1990. So that speaks to what kind of dominant performer he was in this event. And when I turn in my CBS Sports All-America ballot on Monday, I think Marquise Noel is going to be on my first team. I think I will vote Marquise Noel, um, first team All-American. We've explained it before. One of the reasons we wait later than most uh, to do All-American teams, and national player of the year, coach of the year, freshman of the year, all that stuff is to have as much data um, as possible or at least more data than we have at the end of the regular season or at the end of the conference tournaments. because sometimes guys who are fringe All-Americans or third-team All-Americans actually do things in this tournament that when you look back on a season, they're going to be the guys you remember, um, and they're going to be the ones who are the stories. And if you vote at the end of the regular season, you miss out on some of that stuff. Most famously, Kimball Walker in UConn's national championship year. So would I have voted Marquise Noel a first-team All-American three weeks ago? Probably not. I would have probably had him the third team, something like that. I think based on what he and his team did in this tournament, I'll vote Marquise Noel first-team All-American when I turn him on ballot on Monday.
2: Yeah, uh, the more data you have to sort through, the better. Isn't that right, Gary? That's what
0: I learned over at BartTorvik.com.
2: Yeah, I actually didn't realize until not I had the uh, the stat broadcast pulled up that FAU committed 22 turnovers. I I guess in the back of my mind, I knew that – They committed a bunch of turnovers, but they committed 22 turnovers leading to 30 Kansas State points and still managed to win this game. I think that's what's so impressive about FAU. You keep looking for a a flukish result or a simple explanation or some sort of uh, individual performance that you can kind of hang your hat on and say, oh, well, that's why Florida Atlantic is still around in this tournament or that's why Florida Atlantic beat Tennessee, beat Kansas State, beat Memphis, when in reality they're just rock solid all the way through. I mean, they had – uh, four players in double figures tonight. The guy who averages the ninth most minutes on that Florida Atlantic team provided them with seven points tonight. And, and you just go up and down. Kansas State actually made more three-pointers tonight than Florida Atlantic did. Yet they still somehow managed to win. And, and a lot of it comes down to defense. I mean, these guys defend like maniacs. Kansas State went over about seven minutes without a bucket late in the second half of this game, uh, in terms of the basket from the field. So it, there's just nothing flukish. There's nothing, uh, I don't know, overly, uh, they're, they're just legit. They're, they're a solid all round team. They're super deep and they got a lot of really good players. Usually when
0: a, not a team like Florida Atlantic, but a conference USA team gets to this level or any team from a league like conference USA gets to this point to an elite eight, Uh, game against a power conference school you look at it and you go okay well they're gonna have to i mean they're gonna really have to play well to win or the other team's gonna really have to play poorly to lose maybe it'll take a combination of those things and one of the points i made on cbs sports network earlier in the day is that and the point spread um, highlighted this. It's not like I had it's, it's an enlightening thought. It's just something I thought worth noting. Fart Atlantic didn't have to play ab- above its head to win this game. Fart Atlantic could go to the Final Four just being who it is. Just who you are is good enough to do this. And they weren't, it, that wasn't their sharpest performance of the tournament. Certainly wasn't their sharpest performance of, of the season, but they were still able to beat a Kansas State team. That has been ranked in the top fifteen much of this season, and advanced to the final four. It was really impressive stuff. And and like uh, when they go to the final four, they're not going to be the favorite there. UConn's going to be the favorite there, and UConn will be, I think, most people's pick. But Florida Atlantic can win a national championship. I didn't believe Loyola Chicago could go to the final four and win two more games. I did not believe VCU could go to the final four and win two more games. I didn't think George Mason was going to the final four and winning two more games. I'm not predicting that far Atlantic is going to go to the final four and win two more games, but I'm telling you it's possible. They can well, do it.
2: Their first opponent's going to be either San Diego State or Creighton, a uh, number right. 5 seed and a number 6 seed playing on Sunday for for a, a spot in the final four and then, you know, it's possible that their national title game uh, opponent potentially would be a number five seed in Miami, a team that has been up and down. Obviously, up right now, but like has had some pretty low lows as well too. So, so it is possible. I mean, I think Texas and UConn are playing so well right now that it's hard to theorize what FAU beating one of those teams would really look like. But at this point, uh, you have to acknowledge that it's possible because of how well they played. I thought in the first half, in particular. Uh, they really exploited a, a mismatch inside. They got the ball into Vlad Golden. Uh, Kansas State's bigs uh, got into some foul trouble there. Uh, Kansas State plays at a really fast tempo. They don't have a deep bench that sets you up for foul trouble, and it, it ended up being something that really hurt them in this game. Uh, beyond just Keontae Johnson fouling out, and and you know Vlad Golden from Nalchik, Russia ends up playing a key part in the final four. Like, isn't that just wild? Like a dude from Russia ends up Mm -hmm. taking, playing a key role and taking Florida Atlantic uh, to the final four. Like, it it makes you wonder, is there like some, uh, some kid from Vermont over in Eastern Europe, like taking a, a a water polo team deep in some amateur tournament that we, we don't know anything about, (laughs) like that the the media over there covers. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy to think about, about, about that element of this. This kid starts at, Texas Tech, you know, and doesn't even play, and now all of a sudden he's a key piece of of what FAU is doing here, uh, getting all the way to Houston.
0: um And I, I saw somebody earlier tweet an aerial view of Florida Atlantic's campus, which is just amazing. It's in Boca, and somebody was like, "You got to get this to every high level dude who's in the transfer portal, a name, image, and likeness deal, and that." campus um is pretty attractive given what's going on uh, right now so all of this is good stuff for the university uh, for the basketball program and one last thing on 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 florida atlantic before we move on to what uconn did to gonzaga let me ask you a question can you tell me why florida atlantic's dusty may at this point shouldn't be the cbs sports national coach of the year
2: well, I've been thinking about that, actually, because we've got to submit that. What did you say by – was it noon on Monday? Or?
0: I mean, I, I'm going to wait for the uh, – if I'm going to wait for two Elite Eight games, I'm going to wait for the other two oh, Elite yeah, yeah, Eight yeah. games just to I, – I don't know how much my ballot can change at this point. But, um, yeah, I'll turn mine in on Monday. Yeah. And when I turn mine in on Monday – and I recognize there's somebody listening right now saying, hold up, buddy. At one point, you said – Uh, Jerome Tang should be national coach of the year. And then you said Bill Self should be national coach of the year. And then you said Shaka Smart should be national coach of the year. I think at some point I probably also said Purdue's Matt Painter should be national coach of the year. I I think there's at least three or four guys at some point in the season I said if I were voting right now, that guy would be my national coach of the year. And so this is just a new version of that. Now I actually do have to vote. And I think when I submit my ballot now, it's Dusty May. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah, because um, like what do we value in coach of the year candidates? What what usually matters? It's 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 typically excellence and or dramatically overachieving relative to to expectations. That's how you end up on a coach of the year ballot. You either were just excellent and worthy of all the accolades or you were really good when people thought you weren't going to be very good. And so you're the classic overachiever that gets coach of the year votes.
2: Well, it helps Dusty his case. Cool. It helps his case that he beat the other most viable candidate head to head. in the I think Elite that's eight. Part of it. Yeah, I, think yeah, I mean, part Jerome Tang felt like the natural choice. He still is a logical choice for national coach of the year. But how do you not pick Dusty May when he just won? head to head. So it's, it's, it's awkward because when you do these all American ballots and you do player of the year, what weight do you give, you know, a a ton of success from a mid-major program, a mid-major player, a mid-major coach. I do think we weight these awards heavily towards teams from power conference programs or other traditional powers like a Gonzaga. Uh, But in this case, Florida Atlantic has become that this season. They're playing in the final four now. So I lean towards Dusty May, but I, I'm getting some affirmation from you, which I kind of appreciate because, you know, you don't want to be the only guy who who votes for somebody. I don't know. It, it just I, the head to head thing is huge for me because it, in my mind, it was between the two of them and and Dusty May beat Jerome Tank tonight.
0: When it comes to voting for a national coach of the year, again, you value excellence and or a person dramatically overachieving relative to expectations. And Dusty May checks both of those boxes. Florida Atlantic was picked fifth in the preseason CUSA poll. Three different teams got first place votes. Florida Atlantic did not. But the Owls won Conference USA outright by multiple games. Then they won the CUSA tournament. And now they're in the final four with a 35-3 and record. Do you like excellence? That's excellence. Do you like overachieving? That's overachieving. Two weeks ago, Dusty May may not have made my top three Coach of the Year candidates, but based on all of the data we, we now have about him and what he's done to this point in the season, Dusty May is is going to be my National Coach of the Year.
2: You know, though, if we're going to go based off head-to-head, like I was saying, we also have to consider um, Kermit Davis, now fired at Ole Miss. Uh, we, we have to consider uh, Andy Kennedy from UAB and uh, Nick McDevitt, right, at MTSU. Yes. <laughs> the only three coaches to beat Dusty May this season, um, in that in that wild, how did Ole Miss beat Florida Atlantic? Like, I mean, I know it was November, but that that's a that's a head scratcher there,
0: right? Um, but like, and and that 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 loss is among the reasons it took Florida Atlantic longer, um, than it otherwise would have to crack the Associated Press top twenty five poll or even uh, the CBS Sports top twenty five and one. But they they eventually cracked both. And now I believe the Ken numbers have updated Florida Atlantic is up to 17th at Ken So this is a legitimate basketball team. Um, it's an incredible story and an unlikely story. But this is a legitimate basketball team with with, I think, realistic national championship hopes. Again, with most of those so-called mid majors that have advanced to the final four, I gave them almost no shot to win another game, much less two more. I mean, it's one of the simplest things anybody's ever said about the Final Four uh, as it pertains to traditional Cinderella's. But the thing that makes winning the national championship very, very difficult, even if you get to the Final Four, is because once you get there, you still got to beat two good teams. And they're probably usually two teams better than you. And that's hard to do. But whatever teams are going to be in the Final Four with Florida Atlantic, we... uh I think we can. We outside of maybe UConn, which can obviously be physically and 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 from a talent perspective, uh, overwhelming for opponents. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't put anybody else as a big favorite over Florida Atlantic. I, I I I think they can beat anybody left in this tournament, including UConn. And so on Saturday, we're going to have a a final four game. Check this out. On Saturday, we're going to have a final four game between a conference USA school. And either a Mountain West school or a school that was in the Missouri Valley ten years ago. That's where we're headed. So uh so that's gonna be a lot of fun.
2: Let's college basketball, thing. man. It is something else. Well,
0: that's the thing. Like you you don't you you don't get this in college football, and you can't get these types of stories in most mainstream American sports. Florida Atlantic is the most talked about basketball team in the country right now, and it's a team that Unless you're a real diehard, you weren't talking about
3: or thinking about uh, at all just a a few weeks ago. It's an incredible story. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, Marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh,
0: Saturday's second Elite Eight game. Uh, it lacked the drama that Saturday's first Elite Eight game provided. The final score there, 8254 UConn. Just an absolute beatdown of Gonzaga. What'd you make of of what Dan Hurley's Huskies did to Mark Zags?
2: Yeah, uh, Gonzaga, when the game was still a game, had no answer for Adama Sonogo. My man was on track for the first triple-double in the NCAA tournament since John Morant in 2019 until he barely played in the second half because UConn was ahead by so much. But what impressed me the most about Sonogo's performance in particular tonight was when Gonzaga brought the double teams, he was extremely effective as a passer, and then UConn hit double-digit threes tonight for, this surprised me, just the third time this season. Uh, according to SportsReference.com, that Gonzaga has made double—excuse me—that UConn has made double-digit three-pointers in a game this season. And when they do that, I mean, they're—they're they're not going to lose really to—to to, to anyone. So, and, and just a—you said it, a beatdown, and and Drew Timmy's foul trouble had a lot to do with that. But you know, they were Gonzaga was kind of cooked either way. It was going to take a huge rally for for them to uh to come back. And I think they were just a little bit gassed after what they went through in the Sweet 16, coming back to beat UCLA. Yeah, UConn was uncharacteristically strong um,
0: offensively, at least um, as it pertains to the point you made. And Gonzaga was uncharacteristically dreadful offensively. The Zach shot 33.3% from the field, 10% from three, and 54.5% from the free throw line. Just an awful offensive performance from the team that rated as the best offensive team in the country heading into the game, according to Ken Palm. And listen, I want to be very clear about this. UConn was probably winning this game no matter what. The Huskies were up seven points at the half. They were up 10 points when Drew Timmy picked up his fourth foul with seventeen thirty-nine remaining. Again, this probably, that fourth foul, didn't change the outcome of the game because UConn was likely winning the game no matter what. But all of that acknowledged, Drew Timmy getting a fourth foul with seventeen thirty-nine left in the game ruined the game again when he went out gonzaga down 10 when he came back three minutes and 12 seconds later gonzaga was down 21 58 37 game was over as i tweeted this is such a huge problem in college basketball how often stars spend so much time on the bench because of foul trouble we just watched two elite eight games on saturday night and a star star Was benched because of foul trouble in both games. Keontae Johnson in the first game, Drew Timmy in the second. Think about how often, if you're a college basketball fan, think about how often somebody on your favorite team is on the bench with foul trouble. Now, think about how often somebody on your favorite NBA team is on the bench with foul trouble can you imagine lebron james on the bench with foul trouble with 17 minutes left in game seven of the western conference semifinals that kind of stuff rarely happens in the nba think about how many nba games you watch and how rarely you hear the uh, commentator say and there's steph curry with another foul he's going to the bench with foul trouble you just don't really hear it except with jaron jackson jr sometimes i was about to to say that (laughs) you just don't you don't really hear it very often in the nba but it always happens in college basketball and it's a real problem in the sport i mean i've sat through final four games i hope this is right i remember it this way where it was like georgetown ohio state in the final four roy Hibbert and greg odin and they were both in foul trouble in the first half or at least one of them was in foul trouble in the first half and it just took all of the good stuff away from from that game it's a problem in the sport I'm not sure the best way to address it. When I tweeted this, I had people saying, oh, well, you, you don't want it to go to six fouls because the Biggies tried it one time. And it I didn't say go get to six fouls. I didn't say anything. I just said it's a problem. I'm open to different ideas on how to address it, but it is undeniably a problem for this. In what other sport are the best players taken off of the field or the court This often.
2: Well, college football has a targeting issue that that is kind of similar. But did you hear what Nate Oates said during – did you have the sound on during the Alabama-San Diego State broadcast the other night? I did,
0: but I'm not sure if I heard what you're referencing.
2: Okay, so Brandon Miller picked up two pretty early fouls in the first half of that game. And the sideline reporter, I forget who it is, but asked Nate Oates during the – you know, they're they're doing those in-game first-half interviews now. And so basically she just got right to the point and was – I can't or maybe it was he. I can't remember who it was, but it was like, Nate – uh, why are you leaving Brandon Miller on the floor? And he was like, "It's winter, go home." He's got two fouls. He'll have to be smart, but we can't afford to play without him. Basically, right. I thought Jerome. I thought like, I'm not endorsing much of what Nate Oates you know, does, but I'm saying like Jerome Tang probably could no. have used that philosophy in the first half today because All right. sit- sitting Keontae Johnson for 12 minutes just was not a a practical approach in a in a one and done single elimination scenario.
0: I agree with you, um, and I agree with Nate Oates and I actually had a conversation with Mike Krzyzewski about this several years ago. Um, Cause I noticed like uh, so many coaches, really good ones were auto benching their guys with 2000, the first half. It's like, you pick up a second foul. I don't care who you are. I don't care where we're at, what we're doing. You're not playing again until the second half. It's almost like a rule. Right. And one of the things I noticed is that Mike Krzyzewski doesn't do that. He does not like if, rj barrett picks up two fouls in the first half he might come out of the game but he might not and if he comes out of the game he's going back in and i i I asked i asked mike i was like well so why is your philosophy on that so different than a lot of other great coaches Uh, because you handle this in a way that that they don't handle it. And he was diplomatic. He said, "Hey, there's a lot of ways to coach basketball and be good at it and be successful." Um, but he more or less just said um the perception of foul trouble isn't always foul trouble. Like we always call this foul trouble, but there's not a rule that says if you pick up 2 fouls in the first half, you can't play anymore till the second half. That is a decision coaches make. And it's same thing, you pick up your fourth foul with 17 minutes to go. There's not a rule that says you have to go to the bench. You can keep playing if your coach leaves you in there because often what happens is you pick up your fourth foul 17 minutes to go, coach holds you out till the 6 minute mark. When you come back the game's already over and you never even pick up the fifth foul. That's that's a common thing in college basketball
2: this is another thing that makes this is another thing that makes fau so strong too though because they have the depth to where dusty may can take a guy off the floor put another guy in you barely even notice a drop off or if a guy does foul out like a green fouled out for them with about three minutes left in this game today uh, he exits the game, and it, and it wasn't all that impactful because they're deep. They can rotate other guys in. So when you have good depth, it, it helps you as well because, well, one, you can either take a guy out to preserve his fouls, and the guy who comes in is just as good, or you leave him in, he fouls out. Well, you got another guy to put in the game.
0: Well, I can't tell you how many times after I wrote this column about Shashesky and it was more or less like a column, like, hey, coaches, maybe listen to the guy who's considered the GOAT. He doesn't think auto-benching with two fouls in the first half is smart. Maybe you should reconsider if it's something you do. I can't tell you how many... Text I got from other coaches saying, Hey, GP, uh, you know, Mike's got like seven McDonald's all Americans on his bench. So he's just taking out, you know, he he could leave in his McDonald's All American. And if he happens to pick up a third foul or a fourth foul or a fifth foul, well, then he's just replacing him with another McDonald's All American. We ain't got players like that. And a uh, point taken, I get it. But still the the point remains the same. And to circle this back to the Drew Timmy thing. It probably wouldn't have mattered no matter what but when timmy gets that fourth foul with 17 minutes and you're already down 10 you kind of have to go do we just ride this thing out and i don't even know if in that moment it would have been smart because they would have just attacked him attacked him, and you can't have him out there getting attacked for 17 straight minutes because he's either gonna have to place safely which is going to give up easy scoring opportunities. It's not like he's the greatest defender in the world anyway. Or he's going to have to foul. And if he fouls, then he's out of the game for good. But it is true that by the time you put him back in the game, the game was already over. Again, the game was probably going to – UConn was winning no matter what. But I hate, hate, hate. And I'm not even arguing the specifics of any one call. Like that's another thing. You tweet this stuff and people think you're saying all these things that you're not saying. I am not saying these are all these are these are some of the things people on Twitter said I was saying or implying that college basketball needs to go to six fouls. I didn't say that um, th- there are a lot of smart people who don't think that's actually a good thing for the sport. The Biggies tried it one time and I don't remember it. But by all accounts, it was not good.
2: Oh, you're just going to so, foul more. We don't need more that, fouls.
0: That's well. that's that's what that's what people will. T- the people who are against raising the foul limit to six in college basketball will tell you that when the Big East did it, all it did was create more fouls. It did not solve the problems you want to solve. It just created more fouls. So I'm not insisting that they should go to six. Um, I didn't suggest it. And I'm not insisting that stars. This is another. thing. Oh, so you think the stars should get preferential treatment? No. I'm not saying the Stars should get preferential treatment. I'm not saying anything other than it's a problem with the sport to have your best players so often on the bench watching high-stakes basketball games. I'd am. I. i I'd like to get 10 smart people in a room together and have them talk about, okay, this is a problem. We've identified it. How do we fix it? And now let's talk through it. Maybe some good ideas, maybe some bad ideas. Maybe we combine some ideas. But in life, this is at least my perspective, anytime you have a problem, you should address it. Like don't don't, don't let just a problem linger forever because it's just going to keep bothering you over and over again. Hey, we got a problem. Let's address this now. Let's try to resolve this problem now. College basketball has a problem with its best players often watching high-stakes basketball games. I acknowledge there's not a simple, obvious way to solve it or resolve it or improve it but there's got to be something we can do because um it, it's it's i i think this is two straight times maybe three. yeah two straight times gonzaga's been eliminated in the NCAA tournament and one of its stars has been battling foul trouble um it was chet holmgren last season and drew timmy on saturday night
2: yeah. Uh, let's send everybody to the Greg McDermott school of not fouling. Cause on this topic, we're going to see a Creighton team on Sunday who literally is obsessed with avoiding fouls. At one point this season, they were dead last in the country in fouls. And if they're not still dead last in fouls there, they're pretty close. I mean, that is a legitimate defensive tenet of, of the way Greg McDermott coaches his teams is to avoid fouls. And it's so important for Creighton because they don't have a deep bench and Kansas State didn't have a deep bench either, but they weren't exactly obsessed with avoiding fouls quite like a, a Creighton, and it really burned them in this game. And then, you know, Gonzaga, I thought I almost felt like the—I don't want to say it was a bad call on Timmy there with like seventeen thirty-eight to go, but uh, it it seemed kind of just like two guys going for a rebound, going for a loose ball, and I don't want to—I don't know if if UConn's guy just sold it or what. I just I just hated to see Drew Timmy's career maybe kind of come to an end. Uh, in a situation like that. Cause the dude's just been so awesome for so long. And if, if he goes out uh, with a 28 point loss in which he was barely able to contribute due to foul trouble, that just seems like a, like a, um, a poor ending to a great career. And the other thing I
0: get all the, you know, on Twitter and in uh, YouTube comments about this is people, these geniuses, uh, well, the solution to the problem is just stop fouling. No, that's not the solution. God, I can't stand these people. Uh, if in the NBA, We don't watch games over and over with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and John Morant and LeBron James in foul trouble over and over and over again and say, well, just stop fouling. It's not an issue at that level for some reason. Is it because the players are better? Is it because the refs are better? Is it because it's six fouls? I'm not sure. I just know it's not something that bothers the NBA game. And so just sitting here and watching it bother the college game over and over again and saying, well, the solution is just don't fail. Like if that was really the solution, don't you think every coach in America would have figured that out by now? There's not a coach in America who couldn't. I promise you could call 20 of them right now and say, tell me about the time you were in a big game and your best player was on the bench in foul trouble. They've all got that story. Not every NBA coach has a bunch of stories like that, but every college coach got a million of them. It's a problem with the sport. I don't know exactly how to fix it, but I do think it should be fixed. Let me ask you this, because in the closing minutes, Drew Timmy checked out of the game, got a nice ovation, hug Mark Few, all that stuff. And Kevin Harlan accurately noted he's still got another year of eligibility. And the, all indications are that he's done with college basketball. Why? Why is Drew Timmy done with college basketball? Dude,
2: you got really fired up about the fouling thing.
0: I get fired. You know what? Here's what happens. You know what happens? This, this is in all walks of uh, life, or at least my professional life. Because I'll start tweeting every time Tennessee loses by, in scoring 48 points, and people go, oh, you must hate Tennessee. I don't hate Tennessee. I like Tennessee. My kids might go to school there someday. I love Rick Barnes. I've known him forever. You know what I hate? Stupid Tennessee fans who tweet me. That's the. Those are the people I hate. So I'm. I'm never proving points to Rick Barnes. I'm proving points to these idiots that won't stay out of my mentions. And it's the same thing on this foul thing. It's exact. I'm not. I'm not actually fired up about Drew Timmy. You're fired, and, you're fired you fired know, up it, about the idiots. The idiots. Yes. It's always yeah. the idiots that get me fired up. Like I. It, it is in my own. In my actual like life, like my real life. I. Um. I don't. I don't. I. I don't deal with people that I either don't like or respect or uh, am not interested in. I just don't deal with them. Like, I won't take the phone calls. I don't text back. I just, I can, rem- but Twitter, social media is a weird thing where those people have access to you. They, they can put words right in front of you that, that aren't really possible in real life. And that that's the thing. I'm not fired up that Drew Timmy and Keontae Johnson were in foul trouble. I'm fired up that all of these people can't take the point For exactly what it is, nothing more, nothing less. I just hate the dumb people. And the dumb people are the ones who type the most.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, On your point about Drew Timmy, if I'm Drew Timmy, I'm going to mark View and saying, yeah, you know what, coach, I do have another year of eligibility left. What kind of help are you getting me in the backcourt to make coming back for another season worth it? I I don't want to be like mean, but Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas were really highly touted prospects. They gave Gonzaga nothing tonight. Malachi Smith is kind of having to carry the load. He was brought in to be a reserve transfer from Chattanooga. I mean, we had questions about Gonzaga's guards last year when Rasir Bolton was playing at a higher level and when Andrew Nimhard was playing at a higher level, who's now in the NBA. And like we had questions about their backcourt then. If Drew Timmy, if Coming back to college basketball for another season is probably only going to be enjoyable for Drew Timmy if he has some help in the backcourt, or else he's just going to have another season like this. I mean, yeah, we can get into the fact that he can make more money through NIL playing college basketball because he's a big man whose skill set doesn't mesh with the modern NBA. It's the same conversation we've had about big men in college basketball for the last two years now, and that's all valid. Those are all good points, but like, what's going to be different? for Drew Timmy, if he comes back to college basketball next season, if Mark Few doesn't go out and either get some guards out of the portal who can actually play or, I don't know, I I haven't looked at their recruiting class in a hot second, but I'm pretty sure they don't have a five-star guard coming in. Yeah,
0: I agree with all that.
2: From a basketball perspective, I agree with everything you said.
0: I'm thinking of this strictly as a job perspective. Where is Drew Timmy going to be able to find a job that pays him next season playing basketball as much as he can theoretically make, if not definitely make, playing basketball at Gonzaga.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would assume he'd rather stay in college than than go to Europe. Uh, he could probably make as much in Europe as he can on NIL, but like, do you really want to go and do that? I, 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 that doesn't it seems like playing college basketball is a is an easier life to be quite honest than, than going to Europe and his, what, his, or
0: or or, or, be, or taking a two way contract. And one day you're sitting on the bench. For the Memphis Grizzlies, and the other day you're down practicing in South Haven for the Memphis Hustle in the G League, like that—that is probably his life next season if he decides to to be a professional basketball player. And so, obviously, he can do whatever he wants. I don't care, but it seems likely to me at some point in the coming days, weeks, or months, somebody's going to tell him, "If you stay at Gonzaga, you can make a package worth X amount of money," and that is almost certainly more money then you're going to make playing professional basketball next season. And oh, by the way, you'll play college basketball one more season with, um, at least on a surface level, another chance to go to a Final Four, another chance to win a national championship. And you'll do it on chartered flights. You'll do it in nice hotels. You'll do it on national television. You'll do it being the maybe the best player in the sport. You'll do it in sold-out arenas. And the contrast of that is – Either sitting on an NBA bench or playing in Europe or playing in the G League. And if you're Europe or G League, none of the stuff I just described is going to be your real life.
2: Yeah, but at some point, at some point, you got to move on with life. Uh, why is Trace Jackson Davis not coming back? He's I don't facing- know why. He
0: should. He, <laughs> he, he, I, I don't, I'm not saying he should. I'm saying if he were my son, I would be advising him to either tell Indiana, I need X amount to come back or put myself in the transfer portal and let the bidding get started because for a lot of these guys, Drew Timmy, Trace Jackson Davis, Armando Baycott, who is coming back to school, they are now in a position where they are more valuable, literally valuable from a money perspective in college than they are as a professional. I think all of these guys should be at least thinking about yeah. returning to college.
2: Forget so no them, and,
0: and forget Yeah, all of them. And, them. Boy. and 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 for me, it's not a question of, well, at some point you just have to move on, don't you? Because that, that has forever been something in college ath- athletics. Like, hey, I've done everything I can do at this level. It's just time for me to move on and start my career in whatever form. But, but now it's like, okay, but I don't have to move on and I can make more money. Like why, why do most people have the jobs they have right now? Because it's, it's the job that will give them the best lifestyle, the most money and the best lifestyle. That's why I have my jobs. It's probably why you got your jobs. Um, th- th- and and for Drew Timmy, like th- his best job from a money perspective is probably going to be college basketball. Again, all indications are he's just ready to move on with it, and I respect that. But boy, I'd take a second look at it if I were him.
2: No, no doubt. Drew Timmy, though, think about. I think he could do other things. He's so kind of marketable. Like you think about guys who could immediately jump into doing something media wise. Like Drew Timmy could launch a podcast and get like good viewership, good listenership on it, you know, because he, he's funny. He's unique. People recognize him. He's well known. Uh, he could work into being a color analyst on, on a high level TV broadcasting crew and be that before he's 30. I mean, he's the, the type of, the type of personality, uh, the type of presence who could move on and do other things. But, I mean, I get it. It's the same conversation we're going to have with Zach Eady, with Ryan Cockbrenner, with Adamas Nogo. Yeah, we've already, uh, Baycott's already coming back. It, the list goes on. You know, uh, a lot of guys who would have played in the NBA 15 years ago who don't have the skill set to do it now, and they can make money doing it in college basketball. So it's just a matter of motivation for him, though, because like, if you're only going to, if your heart's not all the way in it, then don't do it. Don't do it just to make money. Right, like, and I don't think Drew Timmy would. And if I'm Drew Timmy, I gotta see more from the roster going into next season before I actually get excited about coming back uh, to do this again because he just didn't have any help. Uh, Julian Strader had his moments this year, but Julian Stroder's probably going to the NBA draft. Uh, and I did pull up, you know, Gonzaga's recruiting class. Like they got this kid Stromer who I've seen on ESPN two at like one a.m. playing. Uh, you know, on the West Coast. He's a good shooter and all, but like he's not the type of game changer who's going to come in and be a Jalen Suggs. Drew Timmy needs Jalen Suggs back. That's what Drew Timmy needs.
0: I saw somebody ask this question earlier. UConn is a four seed going to the Final Four as the favorite to win the national championship. Have we ever had a four seed heading into a Final Four as the favorite to win the national championship? I would lean toward probably not.
2: I can't think of an instance of that. Because we almost always have a one seed, at
0: least one in the Final Four. So now UConn is a four seed, but the favorite. No matter what happens on Sunday, UConn will be the favorite to win the national championship. Um, their adjusted efficiency margin at Ken now is up to plus 28.99. That's more than a point. It's 1.29 better than anybody else. Houston the second, UCLA third, Alabama fourth, Texas fifth. That plus 28.99 might not mean anything without context, but just know that Kansas won the national championship last season at plus 27.49. So this UConn team now has an adjusted efficiency margin better than last season's national champion. If they do win two more games and cut nets on that Monday night in, in Houston, it will be... Notable that they did it as a four seed, but the truth is the computers, all the predictive metrics, have had UConn as one of the very best teams in the country literally since December 1st. On December 1st, UConn was um, 9-0, and on their way to a 14-0 and start, and that is when they moved into the top six at Ken for the first time this season. And they never left the top six, even when they lost um, six of eight. They went two and six in an eight-game stretch in late December, early you know late December, January. Even then, they never fell out of the top six, and they were fourth when the Cincinnati tournament started. And now they're up to number one, uh, point uh, a little more than a point better than anybody else. My point being uh, that this is a worthy national title contender and if they win it it, they won't be an example of a plucky four seed that got it done they'll be an example of a a team that was operating at an extremely high level basically all season even when they were losing in january more often than they were winning
2: yeah and just remember kansas went through its rough patches last year too emerged on the other side of it another stat for you in in this century uh, only gonzaga in 21 and UConn in 4 have gone to the Final Four on the heels of four consecutive 15-plus-point victories in the NCAA tournament. That 21 Gonzaga team, of course, lost to Baylor. But that 2004 uh, UConn team won it all. Yeah. And now this is, the, this is the third time it's happened that a team has entered the Final Four on the heels of four straight 15-plus-point victories. One of the other times it happened was was UConn, and, and they ended up winning it all. So uh, this team has all, all that it needs. I mean, let's just uh, point out, like, They've got the, the excellent interior presence in Adama Sunogo. Uh They also, what he lacks in rim protection, Donovan Klingon then provides. And then they have great perimeter shooting. I mean, I guess the the only flaw, if you want to nitpick on UConn, is they don't really have a true point guard, right? Like you think of UConn title teams, you think of Shabazz Napier and, and Kimball Walker, right? Uh, even going way back, like it feels like UConn's always been that team with a, a really good point guard. Don't know that they have that natural pass first facilitating point guard on this roster. But heck, I mean, when Adamo Snow goes out there dishing out six assists, I mean, maybe it really doesn't matter all that much.
0: Well, the, the UConn's last two national titles are are largely tied to undersized guards that just took over the NCAA tournament, right? Kimball Walker and, and Shabazz Napier. This isn't that. This this is a more well-rounded, balanced I thought Eric Musselman talking about UConn after the Sweet 16 game was, was really interesting because he was like, listen, you know they got, they got the two centers. They got a small forward who can pass. They've got great guards. The quote was something along the lines of, their pieces really fit well together. So often we see college basketball teams constructed with like, it's like you let your five-year-old put the roster together. It's like these pieces don't fit together why is this the team you have especially when it's like a kentucky or a duke when you know you, you can't pick your roster but like you got a lot of advantages when it comes to roster building and in the nba as you know as, as a former nba beat writer everything is about roster construction everything is about how things fit teams draft trade, sign free agents based on how will they fit with what we have and in college basketball too often Coaches just don't do that. Like, how do you end up at Duke with Zion Williamson and no shooters around them? Like Zion Williamson with shooters would—I mean, Zion Williamson was amazing in college anyway. But imagine if if the sport four was more appropriately spaced for Zion Williamson. But Duke had not enough shooters around Zion in that season. That was always interesting to me. Dan Hurley and that staff have built this roster. Uh, seemingly um, with a lot of thought. They've got pieces, like Musselman said, that that fit really well together, and now they're two more wins away from a national championship. And how about this? I mentioned earlier, UConn has won four of the past 23 NCAA tournaments. They're the favorite to win this one. If they go five NCAA tournament championships in a 24-tournament span they're going to be responsible for winning 21% of the past 24 NCAA tournaments. And
2: that's three different coaches crazy. too. Three and different three coaches. Three
0: coaches. Like that's outrageous.
2: Yeah, it is like, because it's, it's yeah, the, the multi-era part of it is what sticks out to me. Okay. Yeah. Duke won a bunch of titles under coach K and, uh, I mean, Kentucky's had its share of of uh, different coaches who have won national titles. There, you think Patino, Tubby, Calipari, right? But like, especially with what that program kind of went through—the the sour ending with Calhoun, and then everything with the sanctions with Ali. and then Dan Hurley had not won an. Am I right about this? He hadn't won an NCAA tournament game before this year, or, or at least hadn't gotten out of the first weekend. I know that he had not got out of the first yeah. weekend. That's true. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, no, that was a little bit know.
0: of a knock on him. Like, you know, I I'm not in it every day, uh, like. No Escalators or any UConn fan, but like that, I gather, was a, um, a thing. It was a Dan Hurley thing, lack of NCAA tournament success um, under Dan Hurley at, at UConn. But I said this, I guess it was Friday night, about Nate Oates, and it's it applies to Dan Hurley, and, and now we're watching it. If you keep building teams that are good enough to advance in this tournament, eventually they will. you just got to keep putting yourself in a position, and then you'll get the hot shooting night. Your opponent will get the foul trouble. Somebody will get the hamstring pull. Eventually, if you keep putting yourself in a good position, and this is a metaphor for life. Like, just keep putting yourself in good, in good spots and good things will happen is my advice to young people all the time. When anybody is dumb enough to ask me for career advice, I say, get in the door, get, get in the door of a place you want to work. Even if it's not the job that you want to do, meet the people who have the jobs that you want to have, get around them, be present, be available. And at least my life has consistently created opportunities for me, not just because I was lucky, although luck is always a part of all this stuff, but because I I kept putting myself in a position for good things to happen. And on a either bigger level or smaller level, depending on your perspective, it's the same thing is true with uh, NCAA tournament. Just keep, you're running a men's basketball program at the division one level. Keep putting, keep assembling the best teams you can get. Keep, performing at a level that gives you the type of seed that makes it advantageous to advance and it won't work for you every time but eventually you break through dan hurley has now done it and i suspect nate oats will do it someday
2: brother it is officially sunday and you have been preaching tonight bringing all the life lessons to basketball with a you know what we got a fouling problem and in life when you have a fouling or a problem you (laughs) fix it and then now we got now we got now we got, you know, comparing uh, UConn and Dan Hurley uh, putting out good teams to, uh, to you know, uh, uh, Gary Parish giving young people advice on putting themselves in good positions in their lives. Oh, I, like should, you, I should. Be, you got I should all, be all the clear. analogies.
0: I should be clear. I have uh, great advice for everybody. It doesn't mean my own life is running perfectly. <laughs> I'm pretty good at telling other people what they ought to do. Uh, I'm not I'm not nearly as good at uh, actually dealing with the stuff on a day-to-day basis. But you get the point. Um I, I made this point on Friday's episode, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Billy Donovan, before he won two national championships in a row, got eliminated in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, five straight years. Five straight years. Could not make a Sweet 16. And people start, even though he had previously been to a Sweet 16, that was becoming the story. Oh, Billy Donovan. He's running a good program down there. Consistently good. But man, they just flame out in the tournament every year. And then boom, it happens. And then boom, it happens again. And, Dan Hurley had been for at least three years now putting together good UConn teams and it just didn't happen last year or the year before but boy it's happening now and Nate Oates, is, Nate Oates will be the one of the next examples of this because he's going to keep having good teams at, at Alabama and he's going to keep getting good seeds in the NCAA tournament and eventually you're going to look up and I believe this he's going to be in the same spot Dan Hurley is in right now. He'll be in the final four someday, and it'll be because he's had a string of good teams, um, and and eventually the ball, as they say, bounces your
2: way. Good stuff, GP. You got any owl impressions you want to? Drop I don't on do the show? noises. I don't do noises. You, you
0: don't. You don't do any impressions.
2: No noise. I don't do any. Hey, you saw, I saw what Kyle did the other night. There's no matching that. There's no. There's no topping that. Uh, I mean, if you want to do a uh, an honorary peacock noise. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think I don't think it's a time to celebrate peacocks tonight. I'm disappointed that Fairleigh Dickinson let us down because I was really looking forward to having you on the podcast in full night armor. I mean that that was we were close to that right? Like we they gave FAU I, we, a run for its
0: money. I think, and I was reminded of this today. I didn't even remember it. Um, I, I it apparently I promised on a Friday night's episode that I would paint myself blue if the Blue Jays make it to uh, the final four. And I'm not sure I'm going to make good on that promise, but, uh, you know, I could probably paint myself blue and make some Blue Jay noises with a little practice and time. I think the folks on OnlyFans would love that. Me and Kyle Boone are close to starting an OnlyFans account. We're only going to do impressions of animals. Got to be a market for it. Somebody's got to be into it. (laughs) Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Hawk. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening and watching the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe anywhere to subscribe to the podcast, including Apple and Spotify. Over at Apple, five stars, please. Nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. That needs to be reflected in the comments. If you're not uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel, do that. David Cobb, thank you for being here. And the next episode of the Eye on College Basketball Podcast is going to be on Sunday night. After two more teams have punched tickets to the Final Four. Full disclosure, because I didn't think about this even for a second when I booked my flight, I'll be flying home tomorrow night. And uh, I will be in the air the moment the second Elite Eight game ends. And rather than wait on me, because who needs me, really? Wait on me for, it, it would be three hours after the end of the game before I actually get home. I think, something like that, maybe two. Rather than wait on me all that time, I think Matt Norlander and Chip Patterson are going to join you on on Sunday night, not long after the second Elite Eight game uh, goes final. So um, I'll be watching that, maybe from the air, and I hope you do too. Till then, take care.